Welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology, a 12-episode podcast series hosted by Emma Marti, a senior at Piedmont University. Emma and a guest will be discussing and dissecting a theory, all while questioning the origin of the claims. Host Emma Marti and all guests are not supporting any theories, but simply looking at information to dive into the belief of the theory. Joining me today on Conspiracy Theoryology is Dr. Melissa Tingle, Assistant Professor of Mass Communications and Dean of the Division of Online Learning at Piedmont University. For this episode, we will be discussing her favorite conspiracy, the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code is a conspiracy theory popularized by the movie released in 2006. The movie is also based on the book with the same title, released by Dan Brown in 2003. Among other things, this theory suggested that the Roman Catholic Church hid Jesus' marriage to Mary Magdalene, one of his faithful followers. And just a disclaimer, we will obviously be discussing religion on this episode, and our goal is not to alienate or discriminate against any believers or their religion. We are simply discussing this theory. Why would you consider this to be your favorite theory? Because it deals with an existential kind of question, you know? I mean... Anybody who has grown up in a Judeo-Christian tradition, wherever they align themselves as adults, find it fascinating that potentially the church has lied to us all along. And, you know, the church has always touted itself as the voice of God and, you know, the conduit and the intercessor between us and the heavenly and, you know, the divine. And just to have something so sordid, you know, kind of grab you. And, and catch your attention and say, oh, man, everything that I thought was true and steady in my life all of a sudden is coming into question. Yeah. And that's a really cool thing for me, at least. I mean, a lot of people run away from those sorts of situations because it creates cognitive dissonance and makes them feel incredibly uncomfortable and kind of sick to their stomach. And mm-hmm. But I don't. I embrace those types of questions because that's where you try, you finally get true growth and mm-hmm. self-reflection and understand why you believe what you believe instead of just standing on the shoulders of what you grew up with or, you know, your roots or repeating, you know, all of these um, canons that you were raised on as a child, you know, and hymns and things like that. It's all of a sudden it becomes very real to you, mm-hmm. which makes it more authentic in my view. I agree 100%. And I remember when we did the first episode and you brought up this theory, I was like embarrassed because I'd never heard of it. And then I did my research and I had that like cognitive dissonance moment because I grew up going to a Christian school and I was like, it felt weird looking into this Mm -hmm. because it was weird. And like religion is good for some people and it's not good for others just Mm -hmm. based on personal experiences and everything. And I'm not trying to downplay religion for anyone obviously because do what you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else but for me going to a christian school kind of pushed me away from religion and everything Mm -hmm. so kind of looking into this it was like i said it was uncomfortable in the beginning because just of like conditioning of being like you're you shouldn't question this like it's wrong to question Mm -hmm. stuff like that but then i kept looking into it and i found an article And it was like, they essentially stated that there's a strong belief in this theory because it helps ease the fear of death. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing that religion honestly instilled in me. Yeah. Because like, I remember vividly going to school 
in elementary, like my mom would drop me off and I would just be bawling because I'd have to go to Bible class and learn about death. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, anybody that you talk to who has been a Protestant Christian will tell you they've always had the, um, the pressure, you know, it's always the, the, the benediction at the end of every service or every Bible class or study group. If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Well, guess what? None of us really do until we get mm-hmm. there. I mean, you can sit there and say, the Bible said it. I believe it. I stand on it. It's the final word of God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really funny considering this word of God was manipulated, used to enslave people, used to oppress folks. And even the God that's illustrated in the Bible is so mercurial. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost reminiscent of Greek mythology where it's yeah. like, oh, my gosh, you make God mad and you're going to have your whole family taken away from you. Or he'll make a bet with the, with Satan like he did with, you know, Job mm-hmm. and, and take away your family and see what it would take for you to curse him. Like what yeah. kind of loving, benevolent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God would want to do that to his creation? And that to me just does not that does not resonate with authenticity. And <clears throat> you can interpret it however you want to interpret it. But I think the thing the thing that the Da Vinci Code conspiracy theory does is it makes Christianity and this idea of God and Christ more real and authentic because it settles for us that, you know what, the Bible was handed down generation after generation. I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church Bible is different even from the Protestant Bible that many Christians use today. I mean, they stripped away all these epistles and stuff and these books, you know, like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, you know, all these existing different books. I mean, gosh, in the Book of Jubilees, it talks about how um, Jesus, when he was a young boy, used to make clay birds and breathe breathe them to life. And we have this whole era of Christ's, you know, early childhood missing from the canon. Bible, Mm -hmm. but you hear about things like that that make you go, oh man, like this kid was the divine before he even knew he was the divine kind of situation. It's almost kind of like this metaphysical existence, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're all curious about those things. Like if this, if these folks are telling us that this guy is supposed to be the son of God, then why couldn't he do stuff as a child or as a teenager that he did when he was an adult? Or was the purpose for him to live as a human just like we do, but still be the son of God in a metaphorical way, or even in a real way, Mm -hmm. where he has all these kind of supernatural powers and tendencies and things like that. I mean, everybody's just trying to situate it and make sense of it. Because let's just, let's just be forward here. Do you really think an immaculate conception in the history of the world happened? And the response of the church is, well, it did this one time. That's how we know it's, you know, truly the son of God. Okay, but what evidence do you have that it was immaculate conception? Mm -hmm. Or were you so hell-bent, forgive the pun, on framing the mother of God as this pure, immutable kind of personality that could be venerated and worshipped because that was important to your religious structure that you were willing to recognize, to, to kind of let go of the fact that, oh my gosh, this lady was, this young girl was 13 or 14 years old and probably having sex outside of marriage, but that just doesn't fit with your gospel narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, you know, those are the questions that everybody wants to ask. But just like you said, nobody's allowed to ask because that calls into question the word of God Mm -hmm. and the word of God stands alone. And that's what we're always taught, you know, whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant or, or whatever. So that's why so many people bought this book. And that's why this conspiracy theory developed so far is because it asked those hard questions. Is it entirely plausible that the Roman Catholic Church created Mary the Virgin as a figure to be venerated and worshipped to try and maintain control over women and family? 
Absolutely. Look at their track record throughout history. So yes, that rings true for me. Is it possible that Christ could be divine, but still experience the sins of man? Absolutely. The duality of Christ just reflects the duality in all of us. We both have light and dark. And for the Son of God not to have both light and dark, when illustrated all throughout the Old Testament, God both has light and dark. I mean, come on, people. Like, this is just, you know, this, if anything else, got the conversation going about the hard questions. And that's why I like it so much. I agree 100%. My next question, when do you remember first learning about this theory? I remember when Dan Brown came out with this book and I bought it. I was in an airport and I bought this book. And at that point in time, my parents, see, my parents, my parents would always regulate what I watched. We never had cable growing up, right? Mm -hmm. I always had to go to friend's house to watch VH1 and MTV and all of that stuff. And, but they let me read whatever I wanted. And so my favorite thing, because my dad worked for Delta, so we would travel all over the place, all over the world as a child all the time, mm -hmm. every opportunity we got because we could fly for free. And so my favorite thing to do was to spend my allowance money on books in the airport bookstore so I could pick one to read on a trip or a vacation or a flight or whatever. Man, I used to buy all kinds of stuff like Danielle. St I was like eight, year, eight years old. I don't know if you know who Danielle Steele my is. My mom loves her. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about the graphic <laughs> novel? <laughs> and not graphic in a good sense either. Um, an eight-year-old has no business reading Danielle Steele, but my parents didn't know. I was just such an avid consumer mm -hmm. of literature. And Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code was one of the ones that I bought on, an, on a trip. I also read all the Harry Potters on trips too. Mm -hmm. And I bought those in airplane. I still have those books. I bought them in airplane um, news stands, airport newsstands, excuse me. But yeah, I, that was the first time I read it. And I think I read it. Let's see. Yeah, no, we were in a flight. We were going from Atlanta to Tacoma, Washington. So we were flying to Seattle and then driving to Tacoma. And I read it in that four and a half hour flight. Oh my gosh. It was so good. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. So there's really no way to prove this conspiracy theory to be true or false. Um, there are ways to prove others true or false, but even with evidence proving that different theories are fake, people still believe in other theories, but they immediately shut this one down. They dispute it. Why? It's the same thing as the immaculate conception argument. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, okay, this is a, you know, this is a conspiracy theory, but this one over here is not. I mean, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why do people rationalize things away the way that they do? It's because they're trying to eliminate that cognitive dissonance and that discomfort that they experience understanding their own hypocrisy and own paradoxes and own like oxymorons of life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's entirely conceivable that conspiracies can be both true and false. Yeah. You know, why does it have to be an either or thing? Are there elements of conspiracy theories that are entirely false? Yeah, probably with as many people as get their hands on them. Mm -hmm. But are there elements that are true? Absolutely. So do we just immediately discount the whole thing? No. And that would be the same approach to the Bible that I would <clears throat> that I would recommend. You know, just because some things don't line up in your worldview when you read this book, does it mean you should just throw it all away and be like, Pfft forget this crap. This is just, there's too many inconsistencies, too many, too many, uh, too many uh, paradoxes, too many metaphors. You know, do we take it literally? Do we take it figuratively? Let's fight over that. No, dude, you got to look at the, 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 you have to look at the sum of the whole. Mm -hmm. You can't look at the individual parts. It's all about the synergy and how you can align it with your own experiences and worldview. I feel like that's a really big argument that people will make, obviously, where they'll like pick and choose what they want to take from the Bible. Yeah. And people do the same thing with conspiracy theories. For sure. 
Yeah, for sure. So another thing that I found in my research was that a lot of studies have been done to kind of find the link between conspiracy theories to existential anxiety. And we really did touch on this in the first episode that we did, where it's just people see conspiracy theories as finding an answer to a question that they can't rationalize or they can't actually formulate a legitimate answer to. So I feel like, in my opinion, I think this is like the original conspiracy theory that proves that. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, yeah, I think I think you might be right. I mean, <clears throat> gosh, I mean, but this is such a, I mean, in the relative scheme of things, this is such a more recent conspiracy theory. I mean, 90s is, in my view, pretty recent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe not for you, but. I wasn't born, so no. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, I, there's older conspiracy theories, I think, mm-hmm. that that ask the same kind of existential questions. That's true. So, you know, this one, this one just brought to the forefront Christianity at a time where we were experiencing the evangelical movement in America. You know, the fundamentalist evangelicals, the 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 James, the Jim Bakers and the uh, the Billy Grahams and the yep. people like that, where, you know, it was it was such a. I mean, it was almost like a modern-day Puritanism, if you look at it, what we went through in the 90s. So to have something that called into question the very foundation of what you were basing your faith and movement on and kind of playing your identity, both religion identity and political identity, I mean, that's why it made such a stir. It was such a polarizing book. Mm -hmm. Um, There weren't a whole lot of people that did a middle ground. It was either of the devil or it was calling into question Mm -hmm. everything for the right reasons kind of situation. And the funny thing is that it's just fiction. I mean, there's there's nothing that leads anybody to believe that this that there's anything in this book that's true, and even Dan Brown has gone on record about that. It's just fiction for the sake of fiction, but man, what an earth shattering resonance yeah. to have. You're just writing it, and see that that just brings it just brings into sharper focus the idea that these stories, these because that's all conspiracy theories are are stories, right? We are humans are such storytelling creatures. You know, that's how we situate the world around us. And that's why people become so polarized and so passionate about conspiracy theories, because we're trying to do like every other human in the last billion years is trying has tried to do, which is explain our existence in a way that we can understand the infinite. Mm-hmm. And we can't. It's just not that's not something that we can do with our very finite brains. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as existential anxiety. What a way to live your life. And that's the funny thing, too, is like you can experience ex- existential anxiety in one moment and then like force yourself or will yourself to forget about it so that you can feel solid as you move through and not this psychological instability that it brings. I can admit to that. I am a victim of that. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think of a conspiracy theorist, I feel like there are a few very distinct like stereotypes that come to mind, like the people with the tinfoil hats or just like <laughs> just the weirdest stuff that you could imagine but um in my mind people who will believe in this conspiracy theory they don't fit that stereotype no they're heretics yeah there's already a word and a stereotype that exists for them and that's Mm -hmm. heretic you know 
anything that's apart from the traditional, conventional, mainstream Christianity is heresy. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're treated differently than conspiracy theorists, because conspiracy theorists, you can just write off as crazies, right? Like you said, the tinfoil hat or the nanu-nanu kind of mentality and yep. like aliens came and built the pyramids kind of situation, which, by the way, I think they did. But anyway, <clears throat> um, no, because this you're talking about like the church was always supposed to have the answers from the very get go. Right. And now all of a sudden their answers are being called into question as we evolve as a species and as a society. And so, no, you're not going to call that a conspiracy theorist. You're going to call that out because it's shaking your very foundation as a religion, as a Mm -hmm. mechanism of social control or as a mechanism of societal cohesion. Let's call it that because social control is is, is too polarizing as well, right? Like that means that I don't believe it. There is a good, valid function for religion in society. Mm -hmm. The idea of cohesion, community. Um, continuity between the generations and having something to coalesce around. That's a lot of C words, right? <laughs> having something to kind of coalesce and gather around with the commonality that we all feel spiritually. You know, religion has been able to capture that spirituality and articulate that spirituality. It's just up until this point, it's already always been articulated from from a patriarchal standpoint. And that's just not like feminist Melissa Tingle speaking or whatever. It's the truth. Men had control over reading and literacy for so long and interpretation and holding stations in the church. You can't define it other than uh, anything other than patriarchal, right? Mm-hmm. But now that it's so- slowly moving away from a mechanism of social control, we're starting to see how women can add to the story mm-hmm. and how women can reinterpret and reimagine the story. You know, is God a man or is God more than gender? You know? You know, this whole idea that God is a female and all this other kind but why can't God be both? Why does God have to be one or the other? Mm -hmm. And why are we defining God according to gender, Mm -hmm. according to genitalia of all things, you know, according to, you know, masculine and feminine on a spectrum? I mean, heck, even the Chinese, you know, who who have Buddhism and, and, and things like which Buddhism is a relatively new religion, but, and and they adhere to Christianity, but even Chinese believe in the metaphysical and the yin and the yang, right? Mm -hmm. The light and the dark, the good and the evil, the the masculine, the feminine, and understands that we all have a balance and a mixture of all of that. So why doesn't God represent all of those things? That just sent me for a loop. Like, well, if you think about all the world religions too, you know, the oldest religion is not Christianity. It's not even Judaism. Mm-hmm. Right now, the oldest re- recorded religion is Hinduism. Mm-hmm. So if you look at all the Hindu gods and goddesses, you know, like um, Krishna and, and all of that, and you look at the Jew, the, so Judaism has Hebrew words for the many facets of God. You've got the El Shaddai, Adonai. Um, El Shaddai means the many-breasted one. That means mm-hmm. the, the consummate always feeder, the mother and the father figure who is always providing um, s- sustenance. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Nisi, the victorious, all of those different names of God and facets of God you see in idols in Hinduism. Mm-hmm. So here we are as society segregating ourselves according to a religion, yet all the religions are interconnected through the way that we interpret God as independent of us. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 How cool is that, that we have that continuity, but it's the closed-minded, mm-hmm. 
you know, individuals who want to make a name for themselves and want to set them apart. No, my, just a real quick antidote. <laughs> my favorite South Park episode is the one about <laughs> Mormonism. So they're all gathering together and everybody dies and they go to hell and they're, you know, sitting there with the checklist. Brian's got the checklist on the clipboard and Satan's back there in the background with the flames playing. And they're all going through it. Well, I was, you know, I was a Christian. I was a Baptist. I was a Methodist. I was Roman Catholic. I was so devoted. And he goes, oh, no, sorry. The correct answer is Mormonism. And like all the Mormons, including Mitt Romney, are up kind of dining with Jesus up in heaven and stuff. You know, <laughs> and that's just so true, though, right? Like we're all taking a huge gamble with our eternity mm-hmm. on some really, really small stuff instead yeah. of starting from what we know to be real. You know, Rene Descartes said, you know, he was having an existential crisis, as we all do, trying to determine what is our existence, what is reality, right? Social constructionism. And that the most reductionist, the furthest down that he could boil it was, I think, therefore I am. And that was the only way that he could establish his own existence. Mm -hmm. So why are we starting with a canonized book that's traveled through so many hands and so many ulterior motives throughout history? Why aren't we starting with ourselves and looking inwardly and entertaining everything and then coming to our faith in an individualistic way, mm-hmm. you know, with what makes sense for us, even if it's a mixture of everything. That's kind of where I'm at with my view on religion and everything, because I don't say I'm a religious person. I feel like I'm just spiritual and I like believe in some sort of power, but it's just I have no I don't have the vocabulary to explain it. So I'm just like, there's something. I feel like it really is a combination of everything, like every religion. Because in high school, my senior year, we took, um, it was a required class. And that, this is going to sound bad. This was probably the Bible class that I enjoyed the absolute most because it was just comparative religions. Mm -hmm. And I just loved it because, like you said, it all just boils down to the one thing. Yeah. And that really resonates with me, and I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Who is God? And what does God have to do with me? Exactly. And how do I get to the idea of God in the presence of God? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes conspiracy theories are that segue. And this is my final question. Um, so if this conspiracy theory is proven to be true, <laughs> what does this mean? Like, what I happens? wish it would be true because all the Christians out there would have to admit that they were finally wrong about something. Because, <laughs> they, you know, I tell you what, you tell somebody that something's not making any sense and they just dig themselves even deeper. I mean, it just you want to talk about the most stubborn group of individuals on this planet. And it's definitely the Christians. And it's kind of crazy because and I have I have nothing against Christianity. My parents mm-hmm. are Christians. You know, I I. I have nothing against that. You know, when they got together, my mom kind of set aside her own religious traditions and kind of conformed to my dad, which was Southern Baptist. So you want to talk about a special group of folks, that's a special group of folks. But, (laughs) you know, what would happen to Christianity? You know, honestly, I think Christianity has become so irrelevant because of the advent of social media, the advent of differing styles of worship and I use worship very very loosely there's a book called um 
Desiring the Kingdom. So Jamie Smith writes this book <clears throat> and he starts out with this wonderful narrative at the very beginning where he's painting a picture and it's a group of people. It's like hundreds of people and they're walking into this big, beautiful building that's got all of these wonderful skylights and windows and the light from the sunshine hits it just right. And they're all congregating there and there's music and people are chatting and fellowshipping and you know, you see the beautiful marble and the columns and, you know, there's different um, places for people to gather together and really commune and everything. And you think he's describing a church and he's really describing a shopping mall at the end of it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it really sets you up for this whole idea of even though, you know, whether you believe in, in intelligent design and creationism or evolution, why are humans created for worship? Why do we have that mechanism? What evolutionary function does the desire to worship serve? You know, a lot of detractors would say, oh, that's just another method of social cohesion. No, you don't see that in any other species. We have the desire to worship, whether it's worshiping a god, worshiping a set of gods, worshiping spirits, worshiping ourselves, worshiping social media, worshiping a celebrity, worshiping design culture, mm -hmm. worshiping whatever. But we have this fundamental need to worship. And we are storytelling creatures. To what purpose? Why did that higher capability evolve to be able to tell stories like that? And something inside me just says that points to the existence of God. Because why would we have that desire if no God existed? Mm -hmm. Because you know? like you said, if no other species does it, then that really does point to that. Yeah. So when you're reading Jamie Smith's book, it just kind of brings into sharper focus that we are worshipful creatures. And the church has been irrelevant for a very, very long time. And people have found other things to fill that void. Conspiracy theories, social media, uh, TikTok, all of that. I mean... When's the last time you picked up a Bible and read it, Emma? When's the last time you thought about going to church? When's the last time you just sang a hymn in your head that you learned when you were a child? That's probably the most often. Yeah, that's the me one I too. Do, the most. do you know why? <laughs> it's ingrained. Yeah, because hymns are stories. That's true. They're mnemonic devices to help us remember, and they're written on our soul from very, very little children. So they're the easiest thing to recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm it's having the same a whole moment me. here. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. you just see me start sobbing silently. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, like, these are things that you think about as you move along. And, and it's not to make fun of other people like, ha, 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 you idiot, you believe in this crap. No, that's not what it is. Everybody's got to arrive at their, at their own faith, at their own way. Some people are strong enough to do it their way, like on their own terms, instead of conforming to some sort of prescribed way of getting to God, right? That Because mm -hmm. that, that's kind of what religion does, right? The dogma of it, mm -hmm. that's that prescribes your way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus just set out the prescription, the dogma for us getting to God. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Emma. What if Jesus was wrong? Have you ever entertained that thought, that Jesus could have been wrong? No, because I was never allowed to have that yeah. thought. And he may not have been wrong. Mm -hmm. He may have been absolutely divine all the way along. But like, what's the point? Is the point Jesus or is the point God? Mm. Is the point the Savior or is the point the final result? That's that's like what what's more important, the journey or the end? Mm. People would say both are equally important. Yeah. I would tend to agree. Mm -hmm. But 
sometimes all the emphasis is on one versus the other mm-hmm. instead of one in tandem with the other. Because you can't really, you can't have Jesus without God, and then you can't have a God without Jesus. Can't you, though? Really? There are 15 other world religions that well, says that's you true. can. Well, just in the Christianity sense. Yeah. So that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why conspiracy theories are so attractive to me, mm-hmm. because they allow me the freedom to question what was previously concrete. And I like questioning things, even if I just end up with the same result. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, man, what if I use Splenda instead of real sugar? What will happen? Oh, they taste the same, which they don't, by the way. But, you know, men will tell you they taste the same, right? <laughs> so you don't stop cooking for them. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I may end up with the same, you know, it was like Darwin. Darwin mm-hmm. went and was an atheist all his life. And rumor had it on his deathbed. He went back to his roots as a child and you know, proclaim the name of God and of Christ on his deathbed before he departed this world. Maybe we're all just sissies in the end like that and don't stand strong. Or maybe we're like Bertrand Russell. If you haven't read Bertrand Russell, Mm -hmm. you need to. He wrote this manifesto, Why I Am Not a Christian. And all of his points are very, very, very valid. But you can also tell he's very angry. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are just, they write, and being angry at God still acknowledges that a God exists. That's true. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't know how we got on this whole thing, but. I'm just having like a spiral moment in my mind. Yeah. Going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 It's fun. It is very fun. But it also leaves you exhausted. I know. Like I'm so drained now. Like and you have to end the inner conversation with, okay, this is what I'm going to believe for today. And then you lay it out and then you like move on to the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> and just hope you don't die in between. Hopefully. <laughs> Knock on wood. Wrestling with these big issues. I mean, and it doesn't feel good. No. It feels good and it doesn't feel good. You know what I mean? It feels yeah. good to like be able to allow yourself to go down that road, but it doesn't feel good because it's rocking your every core moment it's like one of those things like i know this is going to be an uncomfortable experience so why would i put myself through it Mm -hmm. but it's just easier to have blind faith you know that right it is yeah don't take the easy road emma i don't (laughs) even if you end up in the same destination at the same conclusion work it out for yourself that's all the questions that i have sweet thank you for having me thank you so much Thank you for listening to Conspiracy Theoryology. Be sure to tune in every Friday for a new episode with host Emma Marti. Keep an eye open. Someone's always watching.